All right, Pete Giuliano. It is Saturday, the 2nd of July, 2016, and this makes it, what was the number, Pete? 188! Solder Smoke 188. You know, I was, I don't know, I don't, let me, give me a little audio test, Pete. Right, just give me a one, two, three, you know what to do. Eeny, meeny, miny, moe, testing on the radio. I don't know, I don't know. I, I think you um, lack that, um, let me see, hold on a second. I know we have some technical stuff going on. There we go. You know, Pete, I'm listening to your, your audio there, old man, and um, I think you lack, I don't know, you lack that rising mid-range that adds sparkle to the signal. Oh, no! You've got insufficient sparkle. Ooh. I think you should go into your menu and look for the sparkle settings. Oh, that's 23. <laughs> and, and don't put it don't put it beyond twelve. Okay, no, 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 beyond twelve. I, because I if it. you get if if you get excessive sparkle, it becomes like a sparkler. Yeah. Oh, Fourth uh, of July. Yes. Yeah, got and it. it. And you, then you get the hiss. Uh, that's that's yeah. the that's the cause of excessive hiss. You know. Oh yeah, I can see that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Enough enough messing with the uh, the audio files. But I actually heard that comment. You lack the rising mid range. That adds sparkle to the signal. I heard that on 40 meters. Uh, I wouldn't doubt it. <laughs> <laughs> they are out there. Uh, all right. Listen, it's a, it's, let me see here. I'm looking. I'm just making sure everything's good. It is summertime. We've been a little bit slow in getting the, this, this episode on the air. We try to do one a month, but we're a little bit behind because that's because it's summertime. There's other stuff going on. Billy has graduated from high school. Yay! All kinds of summer travel, plans, college, all that, everything going on. So that's been keeping me busy. I know you've been very busy. But nonetheless, we have both been at the bench. Yes. Yes. Bench reports. Bench reports. You go first, yes. Julian. Yes. Well, I, I have a lot to report, Bill. But I want to just share one thing with you. And uh, this falls in line with your 40-meter uh, <clears throat> con- uh, uh, comments. Uh, Father's Day here in the U.S. was two weeks ago today. Well, two weeks ago tomorrow. And uh, so two of my kids uh, did a little something for me. Uh, as you, many of the podcast listeners know, my wife is not in the best of health. So uh, they ganged up. My, my daughter uh, sat with my wife for a bit, and my son, my middle son, took me to Ham Radio Outlet. <laughs> this is a treat. He said, okay, you're, I want you to go there and not have to worry about mom. He said, and you just – Peruse the the hardware and what have you, and, and and what struck me, some of these radios are huge boxes. I mean, the latest Icom, the seventy eight fifty one, this thing is retro nineteen fifties in terms of you know size of the box. We tend to think that the electronics has shrunk things down, but this is huge, and it's got a built built in fifty uh, volt power supply. It weighs a ton. <laughs> Oh my God! This is—I'm talking the size of a DX100. <laughs> Holy cow! You know, you know, because I—I I am really so disconnected from this. When yeah. I talk to people and they tell me that they're—they give me the letters and the numbers that the radio they're using, I have no idea. Neither and do then, I. <laughs> and then, but I, I know how kind of out of it I am because when I hear other contacts, other guys talking, they are describing in great detail, and they have deep knowledge of the intricacies of the yeah. difference between the 1,000 model and the 2,000 model and all this other oh, stuff. Oh yeah, absolutely. And then um, what I was wanted to see in particular was ICOM has a new radio called the 7300, and this thing has taken, uh, taken ham radio by storm. I mean, there, it's a $1,500 radio at discount, and 
you just hear a lot of them on the air. As a matter of fact, just recently here, quite a few guys on the West Coast have them. So I've, I've had some nice 40-meter contacts with, with people running the 7300. And I said, hey, while I'm here, I want to take a look at it. It's a relatively small box, and it's got a lot of features in it. And uh, its popularity, I think, is because of the price, uh, the the price point at uh, around 1500 bucks. Uh, uh, one guy bought three of them. <laughs> yeah, okay, you know. So, what, so, so, did he, what do you want? One for every room in the house? Well, he had a cabin, and he has one for his motor home and one for home station, which I thought was nice. And I've, I've talked to them, and they sound really good. And so I was talking to the guy at the uh, at the counter, and I said, uh, "Oh yeah," I said. I he said, "Oh, I'll sell you one." I said, "No, no, I'm not interested in buying one. I just wanted to see one." You know, you talk a lot. <laughs> no, you, what did you say? I just want the schematic because I'm going to build yeah, one at yeah. home. So, well, wait, I'm coming to that. So then I said, I whipped up my phone and I showed him one of my latest projects and I said, I like to do this. He said, are you trying to tell me that radio competes with the 7300? I said, no, I didn't say. How dare you? How dare you? (laughs) I said, no, but what I am telling you is I talked to the 7300s and they don't say anything about how bad my signal sounds or how wide or broad and the spectrum, you know, you got a spectrum scope. So uh, I said, okay, you're just just making friends all so over the I place. So I said, you know, the thing that's interesting is you can build stuff that'll talk to a 7300, and the guys will never jump all over you. That's all I'm telling you. I got kind of mad about that, you know. This, I know. Well, no, that's <laughs> that's that's what they say. That's the tude, the attitude. Yeah. Well, he said, well, I'm kind of an appliance operator. I said, you sure are. <laughs> that's right. Go, <laughs> go play with your refrigerator. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it's just the thing is, some, someone could have could have said, yeah, and the guy was smart, said, hey, you know, that's really cool, glad, glad to see that. He said, well, he says, not many people do what you do. I said, you're right, <laughs> you're right. But, I mean, it was just, it, it just caps all that we have been talking about, Bill, with regard to people go out and buy these radios, and they say, oh, this is the latest and greatest thing. And, and I got to admit, it's got some nice features and functionality, and the price point is very good, but... You can also build radios that will talk to those radios and, and have a wonderful QSO, and nobody knows the difference. And you know what, Pete? And if you if you do run into people with that kind of attitude, and I have been doing I, I confess I have been doing this myself. Um, what I like to do is I like to tell the person at the other end, who seems to have a little bit of this um, superiority <laughs> complex, I, I then point out that, um, that the, the BIDX transceiver – um, in India can be built even if the the builder has to purchase all of the parts for less than the rupee equivalent of five dollars US. There you go. And I usually wait until they told me that my signal sounds real good. I wait till I wait, I wait, I wait, and they tell me it sounds really great, old man. You really got those menus set up just perfectly. Please tell me what your settings for the menus are. And then I say, well, I don't even have an S meter, <laughs> you know. And the rig, it's the five dollar transceiver. And often there's this like pause yes yes the pregnant pause yes. the the reexamination of the credit card account the soul searching yeah the angst the angst of the appliance operator Pete. and the three thousand bucks they just spent <laughs> yeah i know yeah, it's like yeah, that yeah. The credit card so, credit so, card speculation. so anyway which i i just need to share that with you and uh, by, by the way i wanted to follow up on a point before i talk ta- talk a little bit about what's on the bench a follow-up with a point uh several podcasts ago i was mentioning that when I went into my computer, my Arduino sketches were missing. <laughs> the ghost in the machine. They do that. That's, that's a feature. I, you think it's a bug. 
that's a feature. Yeah, yeah, but the, the evil digital wizards did that. Yeah, just to keep you on your toes. You're right, but I found out why. I know why the sketch got e- eaten. What I had done is I had a pro- another program installed, and I did a system restore. You know how they tell you, System Restore doesn't affect you. It's up- almost as dangerous as an update. Yeah, Don't it, ever update anything. Yeah. So it was the System Restore ate the art because I looked at, there were three or four Arduino programs that I had written, and I looked, every one of them was missing, and it was a result of the System Restore. So if you've got anything that you've stored on your computer with an Arduino sketch, save it. Someplace else. Well, I'm gonna. I think that should be like a bumper sticker. I used to play with Arduinos, but then I did System Restore. Yeah, yeah. There you go. So anyway, anybody wondered who who the ghost in the machine was? It's called System Restore. So anyway, you know, I I want to say something that does that never happens with my uh, LC analog oscillators. (laughs) I I have a whole bunch of them on the bench, and not one of them has ever disappeared when I did something with the computer. Oh, okay, so... Let's, I thought I should note that. <laughs> let's talk about what's what's on the bench. What's on the bench? Yeah. First of all, uh, I have some pictures of the blue rig. I, I've now... I love the blue rig. I, I now have been taken by blue paint. It's Oasis blue, Oasis Blue is, is the it's color. It's cool. Oasis Blue. Oasis Blue, available at Home Depot. Very California. Yeah, very California. You, you gotta, you, you, Pete, people in the viewers don't know, Pete's got, a, got like a very California, almost like a beach, almost sort of Hawaiian yeah, shirt it on. Yes, it is. I gotta I gotta get in the mood. Anyway, um, it's it's amazing. Um, <clears throat> this this rig I've been using it almost daily, and uh, it's got a Yesu uh, filter out of an FT101, and uh, pretty much uh, the architecture is what I al- always use uh, with some bilateral amps that are based on the plus C circuit. And the thing that's interesting is I talk a lot of those 7300 ICOM 7300s, and everybody says. Oh, it really sounds good, and your frequency's not moving. I said, right. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> of course. So, you know, you can build your own equipment and get on the air and have very credible uh, QSOs. As a matter of fact, uh, this thing puts out enough juice that uh, it can run the SB200 that I have all the way up to about 200 watts. And this, this lets me talk across the United States. So On 40? On 40? 40 meters. Right. Yep. And yep. so... All I'm saying is you don't have to spend 3000 bucks <laughs> to have a lot of fun and have very stable signal and very credible signal. As you- no, I, I, and I, I really love the look of the Blue Rig. I, I have pictures of it up on the blog uh, if, you, if anybody wants to take a look. And I know you have pictures of it on your blog too. But t- I think you, this was a kind of a project where you took a lot of boards yeah. that were just laying around. Yeah. <laughs> and this was sort of like you just slapped them together, right? Yeah, yeah, that that that, that adequately described it. What it was, I had circuit boards that I built up for other projects, and, and you know, frequently I'll build two sets of boards. I'll build the first prototype, and yeah. then you know, I say, okay, this works. I'm going to make it a little bit smaller. And uh, so I had some boards left over. I took took apart a couple of radios. I had a 30 meter CW transceiver that there's a. Uh, uh, QRP quarterly article, and a lot of those boards came out of there because I said, I'm not going to do this. Uh, I, I'm not very interested. I wrote, I built the project, wrote the article because uh, the editor said, hey, why don't you do this? People would have some interest, but I didn't have personal interest in it, so I had the boards left over, and it worked out really, really well. And it, even some 
accidents, uh, like I cut the hole in the panel too big for the standard 128 by 128 TFT. That's 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 what they make washers. Yeah, yeah. So it it does it was the right size for the 160 by 128, and, and it gave you a little more view, so it turned out really nice. Oh, that's that. Yeah, that kind yeah. Of so it uh, it it works very very well, and I'm I'm just really you know very satisfied that you're able to turn the switch on. <laughs> hit the mic and be able to talk to people. So it, you can do it, you know, and there's not can, that much. To, it can be done. It can be done. So uh, I encourage people that are saying, oh, yeah, I could ever do this. You can do it. Uh, which brings me to the next project is, um, you know, last year I got very involved with installing the beam antenna. You know, that was a huge project. <laughs> it, was, it was right up there with the, the Hoover Dam and the Panama Canal. It was great. Yeah. So uh, anyway, I'm working on something similar now called an LD Moss amplifier. And uh, I, I bought a board from Israel. And, uh, you know, that's just a starter. It didn't cost very much. But by the time you get done, you're going to have a, a lot of money into this. But I'm very interested in getting this LD Moss amplifier because I want to make that with the uh, KX3. Because it only takes a couple of watts of drive, and you get a kilowatt out. So, okay, that's that's what I'm that's where I'm headed. I can either run QRP or QRO. You know, we are we are we are getting deeper and deeper in trouble with the GQRP. Oh, well, plus. okay, so every episode, so, you and I both. I mean, I am I'm part of this. Yeah. yeah. So so, yeah. but the thing that's really fascinating about this project is not the amplifier, but the control system. And this is something where. I'm really getting to learn uh, to learn a lot about the Arduino and its possibilities for control. And so, up in the blog, I've, I've put some examples of how you can use the Arduino to control things, whether it's a linear amplifier, other things in your, you know, in the shack. Uh, very tremendous. And and I went to a Mega 2560. Uh, and the Mega 2560 is un- not unlike the Uno, but it does have a lot more pins. It's got like I think 54 digital pins and 16 analog pins, so lots of flexibility. And uh, I'm just having a lot of fun, you know, just trying different things. Uh, uh, you know, with an LDMOS amplifier, you can smoke that thing pretty quick, so you have to watch things like SWR and temperature and voltages, and, and the Arduino is just ideal for, for doing that. And I'm, I'm, I'm learning a lot in the process, so I think that's good. And the other aspect of it, this is something where you can spend 15, 20 minutes, test some code, and and then you're ready to you know you're ready to move on or you whatever have you, you can pick things up. So it, it kind of works out with 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 the current situation that I have at home and and just not I can't spend five six hours you know working on something uh, at a, at a time, but 15, 20 minutes, a half an hour here or there, it just works out real real well. So. Um, I would like to just be able to take two weeks and put the amplifier together, but that's not going to happen. So that'll happen slowly over time. Yeah, over time. the The other thing is, uh, <clears throat> I should share with you that uh, uh, June JH8 SST uh, continues to uh, work with the Simple Siever, and uh, he's added an AGC circuit. Actually, he he used the Moz AGC circuit out of out of his uh, QRP handbook, you know, the one with the ground yeah. cover. And yeah. uh, he, he moved some things around in the Simple Seaver, kept the same basic architecture, but uh, did things just in a little different sequence. I am really amazed at, at how good <laughs> that really works with the AGC. And uh, I asked if he, he would uh, document the circuit, and then I'll po- post it 
on the uh, on on my blog or, and provide it to you as well because you, you have more folks looking at your blog than mine. But it's really interesting to see how he's taken this. He's made his own boards and what have you. And uh, it, it's gratifying to see that uh, someone else has built the simple siever and said, this really works good. And, and, you know, it's a testament. You can see the YouTube. This really works good. So you don't have to put a lot of exotic circuits, a couple of J310, you know, dual gate, uh, I mean, JFET's ranges of dual gate MOSFET, and you can have a pretty spectacular receiver. And he's, he's now going to build a second one. His is on 40. And he, he wants to build a second one just for 20 meters, so he'll have two separate uh, simple seers. So it's really, really, really you know, good. Yeah, and simplicity is a virtue. I mean, it really is. And, and, and you know, when you, when you, I think simple is the way to go. I mean, a lot of times I'll, we'll talk to people and they'll say, well, I want to build a five-band or an all-band rig. Well, yeah, you can, but, you know, it's, it's much more complicated. If you keep it monoband, you don't have to worry about band switching, anything yeah. like that. You know, and and AGC, you know, one thing I, I, you know, there's so many things we like about what what DeMoss said. And, you know, he he put out so many receivers where he considered AGC kind of of an extravagance. I mean, you could do it. And I I like the way that Jan's doing it. He's doing it as an add-on. Yeah. June's doing it as an add-on, which is, I think, a good way to go. Because a lot of guys will start out with a project. And it will have all the bells and whistles in there. Yeah. And they're, they're building, if they're building their first receiver, they don't need to be building an AGC circuit in there because it's just one more thing that could mess you up. You know, so, I mean, all the receiver, I don't, I don't think I've ever built, none of the receivers I've built has AGC. I, I, I sometimes find myself, like June and like you, thinking it would be nice to do the AGC circuit because then also you could get, it's, it's easy to get the S meter going, which is kind of nice. But um, I haven't done it, and uh, but but I, I, I've watched his progress too. It's really fantastic, and it's great to see your projects kind of being built all over the world. Oh yeah, <laughs> I mean, it, it made you well. You get an email, someone says, "Hey, I built your thing, and I got this problem." I, well, okay, but let me back up. What'd you do? <laughs> you know, <laughs> how did you do this? It, it's kind of hard. It's not like I got a crystal ball here, but uh, it's nice to see. And I I think that that's. You know, a lot of the things that I've done with the Simple Seaver uh, have roots in, in Hayward and DeMauw, things that they've done, and said, okay, well, why can't you do this? And I, I think that's just, uh, you, you know, you can you can buy the, uh, the the J310 so inexpensively. You know, I paid like, when I, with the shipping, I paid 20 cents a piece for them, you know, so you get five for yeah. a buck. How can you go wrong? You know, that that's yeah. really a bargain. So, uh they're really, really nice to see. That. And of course, your your beloved SI fifty three fifty one being used, yes. being used in, in the in the simple siever and other projects. Yeah. Right? And, well, what what's so interesting to see is the uh, one twenty eight by one twenty eight uh, color display. And the only thing that's different is they put their call sign in there. You know, it's the same layout. And same everything, and all of a sudden it's wow! It's 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 JH one, JH three, some exotic yeah. exotic faraway yeah. call. Yeah. So it's kind of cool. Pete, we have to pause for a second. And I, I want to pause here to allow you to gloat. And if you don't gloat, I'm going to gloat for you about the SI-5351. Oh, yes. You know, that little part that you, more than anyone else, have been promoting in the ham radio world. You you are the promoter, the Pied Piper, the, <laughs> the, the Pete Giuliano Pied Piper of SI-5351 BFO, VFO, and the same little chip device. And now it's made it into the big leagues, my friend. Yes. <laughs> got word. And I, I'm going to say it because you might be 
you know, might not want to gloat, but Elecraft has placed an SI-5351 in their new KX-2 rig. Yes. It's, it's like being a made man in the mafia. <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah, 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 it is. It is. <laughs> you're in the big leagues. It's like you're in the yeah. New York Yankees. Yeah, it is. That's it. It's not just It's not just me and you. or You know, you just telling everybody that this thing works. It yeah. sounds good. There it is. Yeah. Legitimacy. Yeah, and, and I think you shared with me, the minute it came out, there were people saying, well, you know, the face noise. And and what what did was it Wayne or, or Eric that answered the question about that? I, I don't remember. I, I, I know I'm sure one of them did. They wouldn't have put it in there if it was oh, a problem. You, yeah, tell me. You think those guys that do that? <laughs> <laughs> tell me. So uh, and and the price point is just. Uh, I went and looked the price up. I mean, you know, for 750 bucks you get the basic stuff, and man, that's got to be very very attractive. And the, and the other thing is the size too. I think that I I don't know. I haven't looked at it, but I think that must have been one of the motivators because they they say the KX2, the new rig, is half the size of the KX3. KX3. Yeah. And the, you and I were marveling at the KX3 size was like really brick. small. <laughs> Holy cow! I mean, now this thing's going to get smaller and smaller. But uh, we have a, a really good. I want to point out we have a really good interview that our correspondent to Dayton, Bob Crane, W8SX, did with Eric Schwartz. You know, we've had uh, Wayne Burdick. We, we, we've had interviews that uh, Eric and uh, 4Z1UG did with um, with Wayne, but this was a great interview with Eric Schwartz, and uh, Bob Bob has it up. I, Bob did it at Dayton. I have it up on the blog. If you look in the last couple of weeks, you'll see it there. But yeah, I thought that was really cool yeah. that the SI5351 is in the KX2. Yeah, well, I, I wanted to just uh, follow on to that, uh, something that I've got on the bench. Uh, I've got the Arduino control. It, it generates the frequencies, and I just – got a couple more boards laying around. I'm just going to slap together. But one of the things I did was um, 60 meters has intrigued me, uh, maybe as an uh, unused band. So I, uh, I hooked up a keypad. To the uh, to the Arduino and the SI5351, and of course, 60 meters is channelized. So you push the button, it puts it on the channel. And then I had a few more buttons left over in the keypad, so I added some 40 meter watering holes in there. So I mean, you don't even need an encoder, you know, just a keypad, punch the button, you're on the channel. So uh, that's what's so ideal about that. You you can either tune it or set the frequency using some other technology uh, other than an encoder. So Lots of possibilities. I mean, yeah, good stuff. yeah one guy uh, contacted me, and he's interested in building an FM transceiver for two meters. And just punch the buttons and puts it on the channels. And he said, can you do the offsets? I said, of course. You know, so there you go. Well, man, very good stuff. Good stuff. So I'm, I'm glad you're getting, you're getting a lot of stuff done in those little 15-minute blocks. There, yeah, Pete. well, it, it works out, and I do it early in the morning, and, uh, you know, just like we're doing this podcast. So uh, you figure out how to work your schedule. That's, I think that's really important. I think early in the morning is the way to go. So many guys will write to us and say, I don't have the time. Well, you probably do, if, but you have to sort of stop doing other stuff like, you know, playing golf and, you know, video games and TV and stuff like that. Yeah. You cut that out, yeah. and then the early, the early morning is a good time to do because you don't feel like you're you're depriving the family of your company because everybody's sleeping. Yeah. So uh, my yeah. my kids are upstairs sleeping right <laughs> yeah, now. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> hey, uh, very good. Can I go and tell you what's on my yeah, bench? Yeah, go ahead. Because you you are largely responsible for some of the stuff that's going on there, and I'm going to talk about that in a minute. But I I was thinking about this, and I, we have moved on from Barbados for a while. There, last episode we were talking about my Barbados. A uh, bare bones receiver that I was playing with. I have got that one done. 
I really like this. I do this from time to time. I kind of go back and revisit old rigs. You know, and the thing is, I don't, I don't like to tear a rig apart and then use the parts to build something else. If I finish a homebrew rig, I usually leave it alone. But what I'll do is I'll find that, you know, in five years or ten years, uh, my, my skills will have improved. My understanding will have improved. And I'll go back and look at it and say, man, I should have done this different or I should have, I could do this better or now I know how to tweak it that I didn't know before. So that's certainly the case with this Mate for the Mighty Midget. This was a, a Lou McCoy project. It was a receiver. I guess it came out around 1964, 1965. And we've talked about it a lot here. One joke, though, I put a blog post up and the, the post was, um, my mate for a mighty midget. And one smart Alec wrote in and said, what, it sounds like you're trying to trade in your spouse. <laughs> there you go. Oh, no. I, I, that, that, that requires a really kind yeah, of twisted yeah, right. reading. Uh, but anyway, um, the mate for the mighty midget, It was for, the mighty midget was a, a little transmitter that McCoy designed and they put in QST. And there was some sort of contest. I think if you worked all 10 ARRL districts, with this transmitter, you'd win some sort of prize. And then he did a companion receiver to it. Just three 6U8 tubes, very simple, no AGC, a BFO, 455 KCIF, a um, couple of LC networks, and an RF amplifier at the front end. And it covers 80 and 40. You wound the coils on uh, pill bottles from the pharmacy. I, I built this thing on the chassis of a Benton Harbor lunchbox, and I built it in 1998. Um, my son was one years old, one year old. My daughter was not yet born yet. And I, I put this thing together. I, I'm terrible at metalwork. I hate cutting holes in chassis. So I just took the old Benton Harbor lunchbox and used the, the, the holes that were placed in there by the Heath kit, uh, and technicians and engineers and just built it on this chassis. I used the power supplies, a lot of the parts from the, uh, from the Heath kit, uh, uh, Benton Harbor lunchbox. And it became a, a nice little receiver. I got it going, and it was working great. Now, McCoy had originally designed it to be used with the homebrew crystal filter at 455 kcs, but I had a tough time getting the crystals at 455 kcs. So at first, I just put another IF transformer in there, and used so there was very little selectivity. Recently, I tried to to replace that uh, that transformer with a a, a Toyo CM 455 um, ceramic. I mean. Um, crystal mechanical filter from Japan, kind of an esoteric, kind of very specialized device. And it worked okay, but that filter has, has significant loss in it, significant insertion loss. And what I found was on strong signals, I was doing okay, but I was not hearing, not even hearing a lot of weak signals. And I just looked, and, you know, the, the Made for the Mighty Midget has enough gain in there, just enough. I mean, they're doing it with just three 6UA tubes. There's only one stage of IF amplification. And there just wasn't enough gain in there to work, have it work properly with that filter. So I took the filter out, and I found in the junk box, and I don't know who gave this to me. It might have been Michael Rainey. Uh, I might have picked it up at a ham fest. If anybody knows, but it's a, a miniature IF transformer from James Millen Manufacturing Company. I have the spec sheet. Uh, from 1956, it's basically just a 455kc IF transformer, but with very high Q components. I have a picture of it up the of the innards of it on the blog. Really beautiful looking device. Real little air variables in there. You know that that I mean, really high quality air variables inside the IF can. Two of them, and a coupling capacitor, kind of a piston coupling capacitor, so you could set from the top of the can. 
the amount of coupling taking place between the two IF transformers. Um, really kind of cool. Selectivity. Yeah. Yeah, and you could yeah, because you could affect you know how much how much you're loading down each of the um, of the IF transformers. So I put that in there, and I found, now of course, selectivity was not as good as it was with the Toyo CM455 crystal mechanical filter, but it was better than it was with the ordinary IF can. So I, I don't know. I figure this thing is about at 6 dB down, probably about 6 kc wide, which is Kind of broad for SSB. I mean, if somebody's at a close frequency, but enhanced, it's okay. But it's that's right. It's enhanced. No, it really does, and it sounds it sounds really good, and it's good for AM because on eighty and forty, often I like to listen to the AM stations. I just turn off the the BFO and I tune them in, and they sound they sound really really great. Um, so it, it's broad, but but I think it's beautiful. Um, not nearly as beautiful, however, as the, the similar rig that's being built by a guy, and I really think you all should go visit his website. It's uh, in Jan in the Netherlands, PA3GSV. This guy is a genius. I mean, the metalwork is just superb. Um, I'm, I'm so envious. So I have links of it, uh, link, links to, to Jan's sites up on my, uh, my blog page. Just look around, you'll find it. But he's building uh, a, similar, a similar rig. And we kind of compared notes on how to deal with the uh, with the filter issue. Um, you know, I, I I've said this before. I really like every once in a while working on a tube rig because there's a three dimensional nature to it that you don't get when you're working on you know flat boards with solid state components where everything is kind of at the same level. When I look at this um, this this receiver that I built, I mean, there's the chassis and there's all kinds of electronics hanging down from the bottom, all kinds of tubes and transformers protruding from to the top and it just seems like you're building a real machine also there's a a mechanical element to it there's a, a kind of electromechanical combination that i find very appealing so you have to figure out how to do the reduction drive to do the cap you got to make sure everything is physically solid there's i don't know it's, it's kind of a fun thing i may be working under the influence of grayson our friend over there uh from turkey but uh, I, I i do i have been enjoying the uh, the tube stuff you know that, and also now here you're going to look. We have to acknowledge there's beauty in, in 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 both worlds, both in the digital and in the analog. But I've had a lot of fun, and I've really enjoyed it. Getting the frequency range uh, on 80 and 40 right where I want it. So I want to make sure that I've I, look. It, this is a phone receiver. It doesn't make any sense for me to be covering the CW portion of the band. It's broad as a barn door, and plus I'm not really doing much CW anymore. So I want this receiver, for example, on 40 to go from 7.125 up to 7.3 megahertz. And so what you have to do is you have to tweak the, the capacitor values. You have to go in there, look at the schematic, and say, okay, what capacitor do I change that will change the coverage of the variable cap, right? Because if there's a capacitor in series with the tuning cap, it's in effect changing the maximum value of that cap, right? So if you change that cap, it changes the, the range of your tuning. Now, there are other caps that are across the main coil, and if you change those values, you're moving the entire frequency range, right? So you sit here, and I, I, I do a lot of kind of work on a spreadsheet where I try to predict, okay, if I want to move the whole range up 25 kcs, how much do I have to change that capacitor? Usually I get pretty close, but not right on because there's all kinds of other stuff going on in there that you might not be able to capture in the spreadsheet. But Pete, what I find myself doing sometimes is I sit there 
with the uh, the frequency counter, and I get the whole thing up and I set up. I got it where I think it should be, but it's a little bit off. So I reach into the junk box and I pull out a a five picofarad NPO capacitor, and I add an additional five five picofarads. I wait till it cools off a bit. I look. I'm close, but I'm not quite there. I need another five picofarads. I reach into the box. It's it's almost like you're cooking and you're adding a pinch of salt every once in a while. <laughs> and uh, I'm doing that. And finally, after I've sometimes I've soldered on two or three additional small value, you know, five picofarad, two picofarad caps, and then all of a sudden you look and you've got it right on. You know, now it's similar to what you do when you're you know you're playing with the settings on Arduino or with you know with with an SI5351 or SI570. But in, in another sense, it's profoundly different. So I kind of like both, but lately I've been been enjoying this. And frankly, I find this this part far less frustrating. It does. There's, when I when I, there's no it, the whole thing doesn't disappear when I do yeah, a reset. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But by the way, Bill, uh, that you know what you say is uh, just as a point here. You'll find that in many of the uh, tube type radios uh, of the past, you'll see notes on the schematics a uh, value fixed in production. Yeah. In other words, they they actually run the, each radio, and there may be a specific value of cap that they finally put in there to give you the right tuning range. So it's not just a five peak or farad. They'll run an actual test in production. Say, okay, it needs to be five point six or five point seven or six or whatever have you to to make the range come out right. So yeah, that's a lot. That's a lot of fun just to get that down. But by the way, I wanted to go back a, a point about Jan and yeah. and and. I, I was particularly impressed by his dial mechanism behind the panel. Oh he, yeah, yeah. He, he it's he made his own flywheel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I'm glad you mentioned that. Yeah, and he, he made the he made a flywheel out of the end cap for a sewer pipe. Yeah, yeah. Wow. And, and it, I mean that is, that is the kind of repurposing that we really admire. And, here. and you know he had the dial string, and so uh-huh. where he offset that, and and how much of a shaft he used. Gave you the 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 vernier ratio, the one to thirty or one to six or one to twenty. I mean, the diameters of right. the small the, shaft of the two of, wheels. Yeah, the two wheels sets the the frequency spread, and I thought yeah. that was really good. And I mean, it really. Uh, initially, I looked at it and said, "That's commercial." No, he homebrewed that, and it's he homebrewed it behind the and panel. He re- yeah, he repurposed it, and he has like he has it set up so there's like two front panels. There's a gap between yeah. them, and it's between them that the mechanical. That the uh, that the wheels, the flywheels operate. You know, I was thinking also if you want, if you had like that big sewer pipe, and you were shooting for a specific um, ratio of tuning ratio, you know, it all depends on how big the smaller wheel is. It's just like bicycle. Yeah. You know, it's like a bicycle yeah. uh, transmission system. I mean, that would be a good application for a three D printer if you wanted to print out. Uh, a, a wheel that's of a specific yeah. size. Yeah. Somebody with a 3D printer could do that for you. That would be that would be very cool. But, but real homebrew. <laughs> now, real homebrew and and mechanics yeah. too. That's that's the fun part about it. Now, I, I on this rig, I've been playing around with Jackson Brothers reduction drives, and I had a whole bunch of them in the um, in the junk box. But some of them are really tight. Some of them are really loose. And if you talk to the to the old timers and you get on the internet and I actually ran into a few guys at the Manassas Hamfest, there's all kinds of lore about how to change the the smoothness, the tightness of of these famous 
English Jackson Brother reduction drives. And one thing they say you could do is if you got one that's really stiff, it's likely that the grease is dried up inside. So you can crack them open. <laughs> Easier said than done, by the way. Uh, my hands have got a lot of scars on them because of trying to get those little tabs. But you open the thing up. And there's a beauty inside them, too, the simplicity. You see, you know, three or four ball bearings in there. You turn you, you turn the dial, it turns the ball bearings, and the ball bearings turn the capacitor. And so I've gone in, and, and uh, I've been experimenting with that. But I, I finally got it the way I want it, and it, it, so it's, it's tuning fine. Uh, and this rig, I mean, it, it, it ends up being so eclectic. I mean, I've got a Drake 2B knob on it. The dial, the, the frequency readout is from an old... Uh, CD that I just put in there. The CDs, CDs that it didn't even exist in the imagination of anybody when a lot of the other parts were built. It's built on a Heathkit chassis. It's got a Hammerlin main tuning cap from somewhere, from some junker from years gone by. Um, it's got this Millen SWR, uh, Millen IF can in there. So there's bits and pieces of, of, of electronics in there from all kinds of different manufacturers from all different different periods and uh and i just i have it on the bench and i just sit here and listen to it sometimes it's just a lot of fun it's really stable it sounds great it's so simple but i gotta i gotta confess to something pete i i, I cheat a little bit I, I i view this as cheating but i wanted to i i know i know but we, we're honest here we, we try to be honest um a lot of times there's i guess there's kind of circuits that we all get kind of get bored with and we don't want to build anymore because it's the same thing over and over again for example power supplies i don't like to build power supplies so i buy power supplies i got this um you know um sec power supply that you recommended for the uh, the amp i've got a bunch of other power supplies my, my theory is look i don't i don't make the batteries either i don't make the electricity that comes out of the socket on the wall so I shouldn't feel bad about using a commercial power supply. That's my my justification. The other on the other end, I'm not, I'm not really crazy about building AF amplifiers, audio amplifiers, because it, a lot of times it's the same thing over and over and over again. Okay, if you built six or twelve of them, you know, build another six or twelve. Never done that. So you know what I do? I, I, I'm sure other guys do this, but there's the world is now awash in amplified computer speakers. You know, where they got the amplifier yeah, in the yeah. speaker. Got a little audio jack. So a lot of the rigs, a lot of the receivers that we're working on, like the Mate for the Mighty Midget, was designed for use with headphones. And it doesn't have an AGC circuit in it. So this is a formula for deafness, you know, because you're, 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 everything's fine. All of a sudden, a big signal comes along. It's like, whoa, yeah. and it blows the headphones off your head. So I don't, if I don't have an AGC circuit in the receiver, which is most of my homebrew rigs, I, I won't use it with headphones. Plus, I don't like headphones anyway on SSB. So I do. What I do is I just plug one of these amplified computer speakers into the into the audio output, and sort of in lieu of of headphones, and they work great. So one of the things I recommend to people is as you're getting started out, started out as you go around to Hamfest, if you see these little devices with the, some of them have a wall work for a power supply, some of them even better are powered by four AA batteries. Those are really useful, and I have two or three of them floating around, and I very often have. Uh, have the audio output from homebrew projects going into these little boxes. I, I wanted to mention, uh, I, I've looked at the same thing, and Logitech makes a nice pair of amplified speakers, 14 bucks. Yeah, I mean... They're, they're, Brand new. I mean, you maybe can get for 5 or 6 bucks at a ham fest, but $14, a really nice 
Logitech, I got a couple of them that, I, that I've got. Well, I got it on the uh, Raspberry Pi radio. Uh, that's what yeah, I it's, use. It, it's actually it's a good idea to have one on the on the workbench hooked up so that when you you want to you want to listen sure. to something that you're working on, you just hook it up there and it's you can you can get get a good sense of what's happening. But anyway, that's what I've been. There's another thing I'm working on, and it's your fault. <laughs> you have pushed me back into the world of the lipstick pig. You were the one you were the one who told me that this that the, that the S38E from Halicrafters was a, a pig with lipstick. All right, yeah. and at best I at best I would be able to apply a little bit more lipstick, but it would still be a pig. Yeah. Okay, but I continued to work on it. And I had it up on the shelf, and every once in a while, I'd turn it on in the evening and listen to Radio Havana Cuba or something coming in. It sounded really good on shortwave bands, you know? The other day, I'm tuning it, and all of a sudden, the, 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 dial, the, um, the dial indicator, the big red needle that hangs down from the top, kind of stops moving. That's Uh-oh. bad. I opened it up, and I look, and I just tried to figure out what was going on. All of a sudden, I heard crack, clack, and the, the dial string broke the reason it wasn't tuning it was it was getting frayed at that one particular point and it broke so man i i have i have done dial string replacement on the drake 2b so many times that i've gotten good at it but it's not easy this is not an easy thing to do this is when we get into electromechanical this is really intensely electromechanical so i just said okay the radio gods have spoken that's the end of the s 3080 and i put it in the corner and then I sent you an email about it saying, okay, that's it. I'm done with the S3080. And what did you say in response? <laughs> I said, Bill, restring it. It'll ah! give you such a satisfaction. Oh, it'll be such fun. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. You know, he sounds like a nice guy. He does. He sounds kindly and, you know, sympathetic. But every once in a while, there's a... There's a you know, there's a kind of element. It must be from 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 southern Italy yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I guess this was payback. But Pete Giuliano told me he said you should restring this thing. So I have it on the bench right now. Good. It's a spectacular looking thing. And I'm telling you, if you go on uh, on YouTube and do S38 dial string replacement, you know, if misery loves company, you got a lot of company oh, there. Yeah, okay. Yeah. There's all kinds of guys, including one very young fellow who was re, re, restringing the, the dial. I'm going to put a link to his page up there. But I and I have look, I look, look. I'm going to show you here. I have actual dial string. Oh yeah, that's a good kind. Made. That's a good kind. But, but, and I'm, I'm going to do it. I almost got it done last night, but I ended up with uh, cutting the string a little bit too short. Yep. Which of course, what happens yeah. when you this kind of thing? But by the way, what people may not know, there's actually a dial string in the KWM too. Really? Yeah. Oh. You have these multiple controls, you know, like you you tune a control. It's yeah. not with the dial, but they use the dial string to tune multiple stages. So as you tune over here, there's other capacitors over here that are being tuned, and you never want to break one of those. Yeah, <laughs> Let me tell you, you never want to break one of those. Well, I, I guess it, this, this just marks the difference. I mean, yeah. some some transceivers have menus. Yeah. Others have dial Rings, strings. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That'd be another good bumper sticker. Yeah. No menus, yeah. dial strings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but please, Bill, when you, when you achieve success, would you post that 
Okay. I will. So this will. was people know that you know this is like a this is like a merit badge, a Boy Scout merit badge. I I know, the dowry string no, on an S thirty eighty. I think I had one a while back, and I'll I'll dig it up. I I came up with a list of all of things that all true radio amateurs should do at least once in their time as a ham, and you know one thing is make a crystal radio with a real crystal and cat's whiskers, that kind of stuff. Tune a regen receiver. You know, that kind of thing. And one of them was, you know, replace the dial string on a dial string radio. Yeah. So, anyway. Hey, hey, I wanna... I ha- and the other thing, that's going to be the cover photo for this podcast, by oh. the way, because I have the S38 oh. over there on the bench cool. with the front panel completely removed. You want to talk about three-dimensionality. It, it's frightening in its uh, three-dimensionness. Yeah, yeah. Hey, I wanted to go back to one point. You were talking about the Millen uh, HiQ IF can. Yes. Okay, Jimmy Millen, James Millen Company, they built some really, really interesting high-end, high-quality. They had a couple of amplifiers, VFOs, driver stages, and they built a lot of parts, a lot of high-quality parts. One of the things that's interesting is Millen used to be one of the chief designers for national radio. So a lot of so a lot of stuff that you see in the national radios <laughs> when he started his own company, you'll see that that same. I mean those transformer cans and that sort of stuff remember the the special dial on you know, you know the digital oh, yeah. dial on the on the on the hro type receivers oh. you know he was very involved with the mechanical aspects of that so it's interesting to see how these guys go from one place to a to another place and you know start their own business but millen always built high quality stuff millen dials millen couplers you know, yeah i hear the i hear the radio god speaking here as you, as you talk Pete, because our friend armand uh, was with me at the manassas hand pass we'll talk about that in a minute and we came across one of the hro receivers with that, that fantastic oh, yeah. kind of early mechanical digital dial and he 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 offered me one armand did, did. <laughs> And you saying this now, it, gets, it sends a chill up my spine. I feel if, I'm getting a message from the radio if gods. Still, if you still have that option, <laughs> take it. Armand, I know you're listening, my friend. You may have to send me one of these. <laughs> By the way, I gave I gave I gave Armand one of the big boxes from from Tim. Oh yeah. Because I, I he said he needed a box, and so it made it from Tim to your son to you to me. To the Manassas Hamfest, and is now uh, in near the Richmond, Virginia area with our friend Armand. I, I just want to com- comment that the LD Moss amplifier is going to end up in that box. It's a it's a fantastic box. Yeah, and I and I still have uh, I have two others here, so I, I wanted to share that with Armand because he's given me such good so so much good stuff over the years. Yep. All right, that that brings us to the Manassas Hamfest report. I went to a Hamfest. Lucky Weekend you. before last, I think it was, it, it, out there in Manassas, Virginia, which is a little bit uh, west of me. Always a good ham fest. You know, and I'm finding that ham fest these days, good the, the quality of the ham fest is very much determined by the weather. If it's a bad day, man, there's not going to be a lot of people showing up. They had great weather at Manassas, and it was a really nice turnout. That um, That tailgate area was just fantastic, filled with lots of good stuff, a lot of very nice, uh, very knowledgeable hams. Uh, Armand and I went out there, and as is our, our habit, we this is a team effort. We went around, and we kind of advised each other as we went through the uh, the boxes below. And very often it was like, no, step back. Don't do it, Armand. 
your wife will actually leave if you bring that thing home. You know, and so that kind of thing. But it was a lot of fun because Armand and I are very much kind of attuned in terms of what our interests are in terms of parts and equipment. I think I did very well. I picked up something that is really expensive these days. It's a simple thing, but very necessary. I got one of these circular coax switches that they used to sell. They're kind of circular. You can put six pieces of coax on it. So, man, it's easy for me. I don't have to run around the back of the rigs and plugging and unplugging things. I just throw the switch and select the antennas. If you can find I, one of those older ones, they're much better than some of the newer ones. Yeah, I know. This one, and I got it for like two bucks. Oh, you know? what a deal. Yeah. So that was good. I got a whole bunch also of... You know, related to this, bits of coax, you know, two, three feet long <gasps> with PL259 oh, connectors. Oh, great. But, but the thing is, that is really dangerous. You've got to be really careful when you buy those things. Because if the guy who put them together knew what he was doing, they're gold and they're really helpful. However, if the guy who put them together didn't know what he was doing or was sloppy or careless. Open circuits. Be a, <laughs> and they, no, they'll randomly open circuits. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or short. Yeah. Or whatever, yeah. and and they will be bedeviling you for the rest of your 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 natural life. You'll all of a sudden the rig will go dead. You'll spend a couple hours troubleshooting it, and you'll remember it's that two feet piece of coax that you bought at Winterfest three years ago. So the first thing I did, and I actually did it, was I sat down and tested it. I looked at it, looked at it mechanically, and I tested con- connectivity, checked for shorts. The guy who did this one really knew what he was doing. You can often tell if you look at the little holes on the side where they're, where they're supposed to solder the braid. If it's done neatly and there's no solder blobs in there, you can be pretty sure that the guy knew what he was doing. If you look in that little hole on the side and you see like big lumps of solder, throw it, throw it away. Forget it because it's going to cause a lot, of, a lot of heartache. But I overdid it with 455 KCIF cans because if, I guess because of my experience with the Made for the Mighty Midget. This guy had a box of all kinds of weird and interesting 455 KC. I have cans, and I bought the whole box for five bucks. But now it's like taking up too much room. If anybody needs 455 KCIF cans, let me know. I'll, I'll send some to you. Um, and then, I don't know, I used to do this more, but I used to have a list of three things that I would look for at a ham fest. Parts, I'd have to come back home with some parts. Tools, something to improve the, 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 the workbench. And some books. I don't do the books too much anymore because I've got too many books here. But uh, on tools, I got a couple hemostats that we use. They're very useful. The lady, the woman, she was not a ham. I don't know. She must have been representing an estate sale. And so she saw me buying these things. And she kind of looked at me like, what this? And I, I told her, I said, well, I'm going to have to perform some surgery later in the afternoon. And I, I need a couple of these. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> she, she seemed quite concerned. Yeah. <laughs> I guess Armin and I didn't look like a good surgical team. Um, anyway, uh, and, and so those I got the parts, I got the books. But anyway, it was good. By, by the way, what's really I, I had a real fine about oh eight or nine years ago. I bought a Heathkit Cantenna with the oil for five bucks. I mean, you try to find one of those today. I mean, if you spot one of those and you pay five bucks for it, grab it. Oh wow! With the special Heathkit oil. Yeah, too, yeah. <laughs> Oh man, good. Yeah, that's good. I I I haven't seen one around. You got to watch if you spill it. If you spill your cantana, cantana it could be like a, a hazmat well, situation well, in the hamster. Really, really interesting is I had to make a a job related move, and uh, I had to go ahead of the family, and so I had my oldest son. I said, "Look, I'm I need to make sure you move the ham gear." Well, 
when when the guy from the moving company saw the cantena, he says, "That's a paint can. We're not taking that." So my my son left it there. <laughs> oh. <laughs> my dad died. No, ah. dump the oil. Yeah, yeah. That's a paint can. What? God, what an insult. Yeah, man. Uh, that's why I don't like to move anymore, Pete. I can't yeah, take that. Yeah, I know. Stuff. I know. Hey, summertime, field day. Yes. Were you out there swatting no, mosquitoes? No, I was. I was in San Francisco that weekend. That's a good excuse. Yeah. That's a good excuse. I don't have any similar excuse other than I just don't want to go out there swatting mosquitoes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I won. I the Northern you. Virginia. Northern Virginia URP? homebrew single side band URP? category one E. Uh, yeah. Oh wow. Yeah. I, uh, I I won and uh, <laughs> and I announced it on the on the, on the blog. Um, yeah, I, I discovered that they have a category called the E category. The E category is only one step above up on the laziness scale from the complete lazy category, which I guess is appropriately enough the F category. But E means that you are sitting in your house with a nice cup of coffee, with the air conditioner on, with your your feet up in your comfortable chair and batteries. But batteries. But you you're running off batteries. of batteries. Yeah. And I got the 12 volt gel cell out. Yeah. That I have charged with the Volkswagen solar panels, and I fired up the um, the 40 meter Bidex Digitia. By the way, we're changing the name of the Digitia. I think I told you about this. Oh, oh. Did you? It should be Digizia. Oh, there you go. Digizia. And for a couple of reasons. This is pretty esoteric stuff, but but our listeners should bear with us. It used to be Tia because it was termination-insensitive amplifier. But Tia is also ant in Spanish. But then in honor of your Italian heritage, I decided to change it to Zia, which is ant in Italiano. But it just occurred to me the other day that there's another reason to change it to Zia, because Z as an impedance, right? Impedance insensitive amplifier. There you go. The radio gods spoken. have spoken. Yeah, there you go. Digizia. 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 Anyway, I had the Digizia rig on, and I made 10 contacts as uh, 1E Homebrew Bidex Northern Virginia. 10. Maybe 11. I think 11. Dang. It was thrilling, and I was really glad that I wasn't out swatting mosquitoes <laughs> and eating hot dogs all night. I, I, I want to share something with you because you brought the subject up. Uh, my Zia transceiver is on 20 meters, and uh, I have an MRF five, uh, 260 in there. It gives me about 5 watts. And I said, you know, I'd like to get a little bit more out of that. And uh, I had some 2SC 3133s that I bought from supposedly China Mitsubishi. They were fakes. I put two of those in there, and as soon as I powered it up, it blew them. And I knew that they were fake transistors. So I, I got to tell you, you got to be really careful. When you, so I had to put the 260 back in there. So you got to be really careful on these bargain parts. I mean, I, I got these things for five bucks a piece, and normally they're 2SC 3133 at RF parts is like, you know, 15, 20 bucks. I, oh, what a deal. Two for 10 bucks. Well, what a deal. They were just, mm. they were not the parts they were supposed to be. I mean, yeah. I didn't even, I just turned the power supply on and blew them. Oh, Damn. All good. right, word to, the, word to the wise. Yeah, not good. Hey, hey. Well, we're speaking of that, don't forget Shameless Commerce Division. Oh, the Shameless Commerce Division. Thank you for reminding me. Um, all right, what we, we like to do at this point is to remind everybody and ask everybody that if you're going to buy something from uh, Bezos and the boys at Amazon, do it through 
the ad that I have in the upper right-hand corner of the soldersmoke.blog. It's soldersmoke.blogspot.com. You just go in there and plug in whatever your heart desires, whatever you're interested in buying, you know, a barbecue, maybe um, a $60,000 Spectrum, a Tesla, Tesla, yeah, whatever. The bigger the better because uh, we get get a chunk of it, and Bezos has to fork over some money. We used to... uh, well, do whatever we want to do. You've got to get some new audio back. recording software, Bill. Oh, right, right. Pamela. <laughs> Something. Pamela is, yes, Pamela is giving us trouble. Yeah. But we appreciate you if you do that. And the other thing I wanted to ask people to do is to um, subscribe to the blog because then you'll get email alerts. And there's a way you could do that. If you look down the uh, on the right-hand side of the blog page, you'll see a place where you could subscribe. You just put in your email address, and then what happens every time I do a blog post you get by email uh, kind of a summary of, of the post, and so you could check it out. But I think that's a good way to do it. So I, I ask that you subscribe to the to the to the blog. You, you mentioned that once before that there are like older postings, and then sometimes you'll update them, and yep. and that's a really good way to know about there's an update to this, like something some project or what have you, and there's yeah. a later piece of information, and the email update is a good way to keep abreast right. of these things. In touch with that. Yeah. Yeah, you can, if you wanted to, if you really wanted to be hardcore about it, you could also subscribe to the comments. There's a separate place where you can subscribe to the comments so that if somebody puts a comment up there, and often the comments come in months or years after the post is made because somebody's going through and they, they see some weird thing we were talking about two, three years ago, and they comment on it. But uh, also the, on the on the left-hand side of the Blogspot page, we have a pretty good label um, kind of index by subject. So I try to do that. So you might want to browse through there because you'll find uh, different you know, topics, and you'll see how many posts we've had on them. A lot of Drake 2B. Farhan. A lot of Barbados received yeah. it. A lot from Farhan, a lot of India. Yeah. yeah. But so uh, a lot of BidX, yeah. So you, but you could, you could sort of narrow down your search. Hey, i got a couple of mysteries I want to ask about, Pete. First, does anybody know who this guy is? Here's the call sign. Whiskey Victor 2, Yankee Alpha Uniform, wv 2 Y-A-U. The reason I ask, he's got some amazing videos up on YouTube, um, all kinds of nice homebrew and boat anchor stuff, really interesting. I, whenever I see stuff like this, I look and see who the guy is. There's almost no personal information about the author of these videos, and the only thing he provides is what looks like a ham radio call sign, but I don't think it's a real call sign because it doesn't show up in QRZ.com. So... Who is the mystery man, WV2YAU? The second, and this is really, really hard, it has to do with the Manassas Ham Fest uh, last month uh, that that, uh, Armand and I went to. I bought this device. It's a homebrew SWR sensor. Some guy went and built the center conductor, the two pickup wires along either side, PL259 connectors, a jack for the meter, it's like a homebrew SWR meter. Think about that. None of us have done this. This guy did. I bought it from him because I'm interested in how SWR meters work. But I must have been in a rush. I kicked myself. I didn't ask him who he was or why he built it. So if anybody was who knows the folks who were at the tailgate area in Manassas, he was down near the, uh, near the end, near where they have the stables. And uh, I should have asked him, but I'm trying to track this down. On the off chance that anybody knows, uh, please... Send me an email. We'll figure it out. Pete, that brings us to, unless you have anything else, Solder Smoke Mailbag. Go ahead. All right. 
first, we've got a couple of nice donations. Uh, thanks to Ed, Papa Whiskey Papa, and Joseph, K5YFO, sending in some nice donations. We will put them to good use here in Solder Smoke headquarters. Then we got a, a nice email, Pete, you saw this one too, from Buddy, KF4FSO. He's the guy who's doing father-son projects and ham radio. Beautiful. And beautiful. And he's 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 taken he and his son go out and and get um, he he called them uh, goodwill old radio clocks that they pick up at sh- at thrift stores and stuff and they take them apart and they use the parts. And uh, it sounds like they're getting ready for a real interesting long-term ham radio father-son experience. And he asked a tough question. He asked a question. I think a lot of people ask now that. The poor guy who ran almost all digital electronics is gone. Where do you go to get a, a decent LC meter? Now, I didn't have a real good answer for him. I don't know if anybody has any suggestions. Now, I went to eBay, and eBay is just filled with offerings from, from China that look like they look like, like Arduino boards with a couple other circuits and little you know 16 by 2 readout. I don't know. They might, might work. They're only like five bucks. I mean, we've been, you know, you, you cautioned about the parts, but then we've had so much good stuff come from China. Yeah. It's like ridiculously priced. I mean, these um, frequency counters that we're all running for 12 bucks. I mean, so I don't know. But if anybody has a suggestion on what we should be using as ham homebrewers for LC meters in the wake of the, uh, the, the no longer of the, of the AADE, almost all digital electronics uh, uh, test device no longer being available, Please let us know. But thanks for that uh, email, buddy. Um, yeah. By the way, two two quick comments on that. One, uh, he he was looking at buying a fluke, which was several hundred dollars, and I said, "Well, that's that's at the other end." And I said, "I, I just real look real hard at those five dollars and ninety five cent ones." I'm not yeah. saying that there's there's anything wrong with them, just but the AADE was a hundred bucks. So yeah. just you just got to. You know, look look at it, and I, I think it was well worth it. I, I ponied up, and I'm glad I did. The other thing, he's working on the LBS. He and his son are building the LBS. That that was I know. that was that Fantastic. was amazing. So I think that's really good. That's that's terrific. And they, I think they they went through and they built crystal radios and everything else. So they're doing yeah. it the right way. They're kind of moving along and progressing, and it's fantastic. Um, Bob Crane, our correspondent out there in, uh, in in Dayton, did a great job this year, uh, as he's always done, in interviewing the, the, the presenters at, at Dayton. We've already put a few of his interviews up. We're doing it kind of by interview this time. We're spreading them out uh, over the, the next couple of months. But he, uh, he had a really good interview with our friend Paul Darlington, M0XPD, and he sent me, and he sent me a copy of Paul's book, Getting There. And it's a it's great a book, book you and I have talked yeah, about about book. his. Uh, it's a, a lot of it is about the Dayton Hamvention. A lot of it is about a journey back to the United States after many years of uh, many years away. But uh, but a really uh, thought provoking and uh, an interesting book that that our friend Paul wrote. And thanks to Bob for uh, for doing those interviews and for sending me a copy of Paul's book. Great. We've gotten some really good help and and messages and inspiration from uh, the um, the Titan of Thermotrons. From Grayson over there in 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 Turkey, uh, I think we might he might be kind of offline for a little while because he's getting ready to move. Florida, he, yeah, I know he's going to Florida, and uh, it, it'll be great to be back in the same time zone with uh, with Grayson. We wish him luck in setting up the new the new shack down there in in Florida. I think it's going to be uh, a good move for him. But moves are always traumatic. Oh yeah, you and I know uh, you know you and I know oh, that. Oh yeah, well you know he uh, he mentioned one thing to me. Um 
oh, almost about a year ago that he had some uh, – he was anxious to get back to the States because he had a whole Collins station in, in storage somewhere in Texas. So I guess getting back to Florida, he'll probably get that back on the air. That would be, be kind of That'll interesting. That would be cool. Yeah, be cool. be cool. Yeah. yeah. It is hard when you're overseas sometimes because you end up with, um, you know, if you're in a small apartment as I was in Rome, it could be tough. But, uh, yeah, all right. Well, that's a good reason to come back right there. Well, the yeah. <laughs> Especially if you're, you're, you're as hardcore and dedicated as Grace yeah. is. And I, I, I told him the, the person that's probably going to be most excited is his son moving to Florida. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think he's got a teenage son. I said, yeah, he's going to like that. He's going to enjoy that. Could, could be good. Yeah. Could yeah. Be good. yeah. <laughs> Hey, I've had a lot of contact, and I, I really enjoy it with uh, with Farhan and Hyderabad. Um, it's it's far. I you know I'm an early riser, and it turns out that Farhan is a, is a real night owl. And um, anyway, I, I'll be I'll be sitting there on Google Chat, and all of a sudden they'll come in. I'll say, "Good, I'll look. I'll look at the globe. I'll start figuring out, you know, where the sun is." And sure enough, it's three o'clock in the morning in Hyderabad, and and, and Farhan is. Is working on something, and so it's always always a pleasure to talk to him. Um, he, he, the man doesn't sleep; <laughs> he's got a lot of stuff going on. But anyway, really, really good to talk to Farhan. A lot of stuff that he tells me, I am pledged to secrecy. Oh, there you go. And I'm, oh, I will respect my pledge. Does he work in the electronics industry, or is he work in some unrelated field? He's got he's got so many things going on. He he actually is operating. Uh, and one of the things he does, he's, he's involved in a lot of charitable work, and he's involved in, in work that's aimed at helping uh, poor Indian farmers improve their productivity. Oh, wow. He's, he's also got a major kind of social cultural center in Hyderabad that attracts all kinds of, of interesting artists and writers. It's the kind of place that, you know, he set up kind of a, a, a cafe where you'd want to, to go to see and, and learn about interesting things. And they have people who are coming in from all over the world presenting there. And he's been written up in some of the major global um, magazines about about travel. And, he's be, and his center has become a major uh, point of attraction there in Hyderabad. Oh, wow. So, so, I mean, we're really lucky that Farhan finds the time to work on the circuits. And the, the thing I'm always always gratified by is that he's he's always very much one of us i mean he's he's a big designer he's a designer of the bid x designer of all these other rigs but very often when i'm chatting with him he's like pulling his hair out on the same <laughs> yeah kind of yeah, yeah. So I, I, I find it very encouraging yeah, you know the, and he's also a master at using you know repurposing parts oh, and finding yeah. parts putting them in good use and you know take those polyvaricons out of old am radios N- and, nylon washers for coil forms there you go oh man syringes for coil yeah. forms I, I thought too most notably uh, didn't he develop a uh, a new version of the bidex that's being man- commercially manufactured and he's putting these people to work uh, he did now he's doing a great thing there because he, uh, he he's come up with a kind of a module board for the bidex 40 and he's been trying to find a way to uh, there's a, a collective of poor women who are kind of looking for work that can be done at home kind of like uh, like piecework and he's uh, he's being very good to them and he's given them a, a portion of the work on the assembly of, of these modules so it, he's a very uh, a very generous guy altruistic yeah. yeah so very good and uh, interesting fellow and I'm, I'm always pleased to have to, to get a a chat message from him, even if it's—I know it's three o'clock in the morning. Wow. Right, but I, 
Let's see who else we got email from. Oh, this this was interesting from Jesse KD0ZBY. He asked an interesting question, but I think we found the question a little bit a little bit worrisome because he said that okay, he told he wrote in and he said that he wanted to build an analog VFO, right? And so of course I was pleased. And uh, I, you fought you fought against the temptation to say ah SI 5351. But you you didn't. But the thing that I found a little bit, and you and I both kind of went back to him, and we said he said that he what he was looking for. It sounded like he was looking for just the schematic for the VFO that'll be like the perfect VFO and won't give him any trouble. Right? <laughs> so his the idea was, I'm going to get this schematic, and then I'm going to build it. I'm going to use all these parts, and then therefore it should work perfectly. And I think that's, you know, I'm not, I'm not criticizing him because that's, I think people who are unfamiliar with kind of analog electronics might assume that that's a reasonable thing to hope for, but it's not, right? No. Yeah. Because, and, and so, I mean, I was sort of, I, I, said, I said, when I looked at the question, I said, well, I can see why somebody think that might think that that's possible. But then we, we wrote back and we explained there's so many, especially when you're building a VFO, there's so many kind of unpredictable variables in there. How do you build it? How mechanically stable is it? What's the quality of the parts? Are they NPO caps? What kind of coil are you using? Are you, are you winding the coils on ferrite or iron powder? Or are you doing air coil? What's the Q? You know, well, what kind of power supply regulation are you using? And I think this, especially in the building of, a, of an analog VFO, this is what really makes is it's a difference between an art and a science you know it, it's it's not just a matter of okay here's the circuit build it and it'll be stable and produce the frequencies you want no the schematic is sort of like the starting point and then you have to consider all the construction factors that we just mentioned so we, we didn't mean to discourage anybody but you want to give people a realistic view and there is an element of art in it it's not just all science and engineering a lot of that is experiential in other words you find right. you find this works that doesn't work and and as you build 20 of them <laughs> when you get the number 20 you you find out all the things that went wrong with the the prior 19 you know right and the other thing is especially on this kind of circuit you really have to have a deep understanding of what each component is doing because a lot of times people will look at it and they'll just see a mass of parts and they'll say, yeah, yeah, I know, it just, it does, there's feedback, maybe Barkhausen's in there somewhere, your old friend Barkhausen, and RF comes out. But especially in the frequency determining elements, you really need to know how those capacitors and coils are all interact, all, all reacting together to produce the, the resonant frequency that you are desiring. So, so like I said before, one of those caps will change the effect that the tuning capacitor has on resonance. So it'll, it'll affect range. If you pick a, a value that's too high, you know, you'll only get, you know, three KCs of tuning. You, you, you pick a value that's too low, and when you turn the knob, you go across, you know, full megahertz. You, you, have, to, you have to hit it just right. Other capacitors will determine where that frequency range is. Are you in the band? Are you out of the band? And if you don't really know what's going on with those capacitors, when you build a thing and you find out that it's, in spite of the fact that you built it for the 40-meter band, it's actually tuning from 6.5 to 6.8 megahertz, you're not really going to know what to do. You know? and, and that's really, really likely. It's more likely than not. 
So then you're going to have to go in there, and in that case, you're probably going to have to take out some of the capacitance. But you got to know where to take it out because you want to move the frequency yeah. up. You got to know, and you also have to have a general understanding of how the LC is working because you have to know whether you're going to need to add capacitance or inductance or what. And, and so this is where understanding the circuit circuit really really helps. We don't mean to be discouraging there, uh, Jesse, but we just wanted to give you the cold hard facts. And, and I, uh, you, you were talking about this earlier, and I, I wanted to make a comment, and I, it kind of slipped my mind, but I'll, I'll introduce it here. When you add that capacitance uh, to, to either move the range up or down, where you add the capacitance also makes a difference of the linearity. In other words, you may find that um, for 50% of the tuning range of the variable capacitor, uh, the frequencies are kind of spread out. But as you get to the higher end, you'll find that they're real close together. So. Right, right. so you know, anytime you put a, a capacitor in series with with another a variable capacitor because you want to reduce the value and reduce the tuning range, you also have the product over the sum, and you're going to find right. that, that that product over the sum is, is nonlinear. So there's things, right. there's tricks that you can do to to make it very linear. So as you turn it one degree, it's one kilohertz. That's what we right. ultimately would like to do: one degree, one kilohertz. You know, so you, your dials. It's got a 270-degree uh, spread on it, and, and so you'd have 270 kilohertz. It doesn't work that way. So you have to know, know how to, where to add the capacitance and how do you compensate for the nonlinearities. That's why no, they went to PTOs because you could get a linear travel. You'd have a linear change in inductance, and, right. and thus – you know, one turn is one kilohertz, uh, that sort of thing. So you gotta, you oh, gotta, no. you gotta know that. You gotta say, God, you know, the low end of the band is great. When I get the high end, they're all bunched together. Well, and, that, and that's why you get some of these variable capacitors that have really oddly plate, shaped, plates, yeah, yeah, oddly shaped because they're trying to get to that that linearity point. Yeah. But anyway, a good good question, Jesse. We wish you a lot of luck and definitely build some of those analog Let's VFOs. Build one and then test it. <laughs> Play with it, yeah. We get so much good mail from. Um, from Dex down there in New Zealand, oh, yeah. Dexter, a uh, very thought-provoking guy. And he, he like you, Pete, has, I think, unintentionally plunged me into a world of homebrew hurt. Because <laughs> he wrote in this week and said that he's been playing around with an old Yesu FT-227R memorizer. Yes. This is a two-meter FM rig, solid state. From the 1980s, and about a far, as far afield from what we normally work on here on Solder Smoke as you can get. It's two meters. It's FM. It's a Yesu. It's, you know, it's digital. And normally I would say, of course, yuck, right? But no. He points out, and this is, this is always, this is always gonna, something that's going to grab me. This is, I'm a sucker for this kind of stuff. If you tell me a rig is a cult classic, or has a cult following? Ooh. S thirty eight E. I want in. I want yeah. in. Yeah. HWA. Yeah, there you go. Tentec Argonaut. DX one hundred. Cult classics. Right? I'm in. To make matters worse, I have one of these things. It's been sitting in the garage for years. To make matters worse, my, my father bought it for me. Alright? I used it for a while. I actually, and then then I've done wild things with it. I I used it. I converted it to CW, 
and used it to work through the RS-10 satellite when I was in the Dominican Republic. Later, I put it back on FM and used it to talk to Norm Thagard, the American astronaut on the Russian Mir station. I got a lot of history with this rig, but I kind of was forgetting about it because Yesu, FM, two meters, you know, not my thing. And then Dexter sends me this thing about it being a cult classic. One of the reasons it's cult classic is because it's pre-microcontroller. It's, got, it's one of the first rigs with a, a digital frequency readout, but it's all with this kind of discrete logic chips, like the old frequency counters. Man gate. Yeah. Understandable. No mystery boxes. I'm liking it. Anyway, I dragged the thing out from the garage. I dusted it off. I'm not actually working on it yet because I'm, I'm working on this dial string thing that you got me on. <laughs> <laughs> but once we get through the dial string, Dexter, it might be your fault. I might plunge into the world of two meter FM. We got a nice, nice email from Peter VK2EMU, also down under. Um, he is building tube rigs, and he started out by building a tube tester. I kind of told him, I said, Peter, just start building the rigs, man. You'll find out if the tubes don't work. Hey, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Test them. But he's he's fastidious, and he built it. So uh, that was that was good. Good luck to you, Peter. Jeff W9TH. Uh, a deeply disturbing report from Dayton. Depraved, I said. This is depraved and disturbing. He got a, He sent us a picture from Dayton. Some of these people, and, and I think they should be in jail, they're taking D104 microphones and they're turning them into lamps. I know you had a different reaction. Yeah, I thought it was cool. I, I just <laughs> said, I said, oh my God, that's painful. Lamps, appliances. You know, what, you, you, you had a different thought. You thought it would be okay as long as you could continue to use them as a microphone. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, Pete, you'd be burning your forehead on the well, thing, you know? It's throwing a little light on the subject. You'd be walking around being burns on the forehead because, you know, they got some DX called in and they, they lost control, yeah. you know? Uh, no, thank you for that, uh, Jeff. And then, speaking of microphones, so we got a nice one from Ed. Uh, K1RID, and his 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 son has made a, a, made him a microphone out of Legos. Yeah, it's cool. Mike Element made the Legos there. Very very cool. Good stuff. Good mail. Anything else, Pete? No, I I think uh, we've got everything covered. Uh, we covered a lot. As a matter of fact, we've been at this almost an hour and a half. So holy cow! Yeah, all right. Double triple overtime. Yeah. Wish everybody a very happy summer. All uh, all the listeners in the USA have a good Fourth of July. Have a safe Fourth of July. Watch out for the pyrotechnics. And uh, Pete, uh, you have, you have a good Fourth out there. You, happy Fourth you of too, July. You too, Bill. Hey, uh, has Billy taken off for Europe yet, or is he still at home? We're we're still talking about that. We'll we'll, we'll keep you updated. Oh, okay, cool. All right. Hey, uh, seven three from Northern Virginia. Seven three from the left coast. Thanks, Pete. We'll see ya. Bye bye. See ya. Ooh, that's awesome. The Solder Smoke Podcast is produced once or twice a month using roadkill computers in an electronics workshop somewhere in the wilds of Northern Virginia. The podcast is available via iTunes and directly from our website, soldersmoke.com. Our blog, the Solder Smoke Daily News, is at soldersmoke.blogspot.com. Send email to soldersmoke, that's one word, at yahoo.com. Solder Smoke is listener-supported. And there are many ways you can help keep the podcast going. Please spread the word. Let your friends know about Solder Smoke, the 
the podcast and our blog. Put links to the podcast and the blog on your websites. Buy a copy of the critically acclaimed book, Solder Smoke, Global Adventures in Wireless Electronics, available from lulu.com. Begin all your visits to Amazon via the Amazon link on our blog page. In this way, Solder Smoke gets a commission from anything you buy on Amazon. Buy some of our attractive Solder Smoke t-shirts, coffee mugs, and bumper stickers at the Solder Smoke store at cafepress.com. If you have a small business, consider advertising on the podcast or on the blog. Our rates are reasonable and our staff is friendly. If none of this appeals to you but you still want to help, well, we have a donation button in the upper left-hand corner of the blog page. However you choose to help, we thank you for your support. Ciao, bravi ragazzi!